Welcome to Ecology Matters, a podcast from the Ecological Society of Australia, featuring ecologists from all over the country. The, the biodiversity in this part of the world is just incredible. It's not just ice and snow, it's teeming with life on the coast. I see that and I say, okay, well, that's a great opportunity to study, to study it more. Looking at those sites gives you a sense of joy and, and hope. Love being arranged, it's incredible. It's just, yeah, it's a, it's a really awesome program and it's just so healing, like, for our whole community. That's the beauty of ecology is that it's so interconnected. Yeah, it's been really exciting, actually. Emily Enns is an associate professor at Macquarie University, where she leads the Cross-Cultural Ecology and Environmental Management Lab. She's passionate about creating respectful cross-cultural partnerships with Indigenous people and organisations to better understand and manage Australia's diverse ecosystems. Emily and her team have won a number of awards for their cross-cultural work, including Banksia, Eureka and Australian Academy of Science Awards. And in 2022, Emily was awarded the ESA Members Service Prize in recognition of her outstanding contributions to Australian ecology. Could you just explain in your own words what cross-cultural ecology is and why it came to be such a central part of your career focus? Mm, Okay. So to me, yeah, I guess thinking about cross-cultural ecology, what does that mean? First we think about ecology and what that is, is, um, you know, understanding the sort of interconnections within the environment, inclusive of humans. So when we look at cross-cultural ecology, we're understanding those interconnections from different cultural perspectives. So mainly I've been working in the sort of, you know, Western science and Indigenous knowledge from those perspectives. Um, And then with our cross-cultural ecology work, we combine those perspectives to understand, as you said, a whole range of different sort of environmental topics, challenges, questions, questions. and I guess with our work, we're, we're focusing largely um, on work with Aboriginal ranger groups on Aboriginal land. So we try to focus on questions and topics that are of interest to local traditional landowners. And, and how did you yourself come to be so interested in it? How did you get involved in this if it, if it wasn't originally your background? Yeah, no, I often wonder... <laughs> Um, what happened there and really the story goes that um, after my PhD in Wollongong on invasive plant ecology with Chris French, I embarked on my first postdoc at CDU, Charles Darwin Uni, following a similar theme, looking at invasive grass ecology, gamba grass in northern Australian savannas and it was through that experience, I guess my eyes were sort of open to Indigenous land management on a bigger scale than what I'd seen before um, being based down in New South Wales. So I started thinking about sort of Indigenous land management more and teaching myself about, you know, what that meant because it was absent from um, my sort of undergraduate and postgraduate training up until then. And so I just think, hold on a minute, there's a different way that we can sort of tackle these environmental challenges, not just focusing on sort of quantitative Western ecology sort of um, methods, but also drawing in Indigenous knowledge and expertise, and that's when I started thinking about you know, cross-cultural ecology and combining different approaches. And then I was um, just lucky enough, really, to stumble across a postdoc um, position that was advertised through the Australian National Uni, 
as part of a multidisciplinary research team um, down in Canberra based in the Centre for Aboriginal Economic Policy Research. And that's really um, what sort of kick-started my career in cross-cultural ecology and learning sort of a range of multidisciplinary techniques um, uh, where we can sort of draw on those techniques to um, better understand and capture different sort of cultural perspectives around Indigenous land management. So it was a big sort of 90-degree turn, I guess, in, in my career because up until then I was largely sort of focused on, yeah, pretty much, you know, classic sort of plant ecology um, research and a bit of plant chemistry and that sort of stuff. And then I started thinking more about humans. So that was, yeah, a big thing for me, away from the lab and the microscope and starting to talk to people. Um, but, you know, it really, as you, as you may know, has transformed sort of what I do these days and sort of encourage others to do. Um, until now, it's sort of become, you know, a real movement across Australia that we are working more respectfully with Indigenous landowners and incorporating Indigenous knowledge and working respectfully with Indigenous people. So, yeah, I feel really lucky and privileged to be part of this shift in Australian ecology. Mm. And you you mentioned there that um, during your undergraduate studies there didn't seem to be much of a focus on Indigenous ecological knowledge. Do you think, you know, as you, as you mentioned, there's been a bit of a shift recently. Has that um, shift happened within universities as well in terms of the teaching material? Is it is it being... Um, introduced to undergraduates now? We're getting there. Um, I recently had a master's student, Wiradjuri master's student, Renee Cawthorn. She did a review of Indigenous science units across Australia in the faculties of science, um, in particular not the arts sort of faculties, the sciencey ones. Um, and there was, there was a, admittedly a fairly low sort of percentage of like um, universities that had full units on Indigenous land management or science um, content. But I think there's been a, been a dramatic shift. Like we do see it there, but we'd like to see more obviously and um, more Indigenous academics as well teaching um, and about Indigenous ecological knowledge and concepts of caring for country. Um, yeah, so we just still have a long way, a long way to go, but yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there, definitely. Yeah, there's definitely been a shift, a lot of interest. I get a lot of people asking me, "How do you do it? How do we, um, you know, bring more Indigenous content into our ecology units?" Even just yesterday, someone asking me from um, Macquarie. So here at Macquarie, we're actually developing a bit of a strategy across our whole school, um, looking at. Um, where unit conveners want to include more Indigenous knowledge and coming up with a sort of a school-wide strategy across our, you know, multiple degrees and 63 subjects to see how we can scaffold Indigenous ecological knowledge um, and Indigenous voices across all of our units. So there's a deliberate effort, which is good by mm. universities, I think. Mm. And many of the partnerships that you have formed over the last decade or so have um, taken you into Arnhem Land into, and to um, north and west New South Wales. Why um, are those areas in particular of interest to you? Yeah, really just, I guess, by chance or maybe say luck or maybe you could, you know, my Aboriginal colleagues would say, yeah, it was always meant to be that, you know, old people brought you into us. <laughs> um, in Arnhem Land, and that was my first post, uh, sorry, the postdoc at ANU. Um, I went into other sort of the multidisciplinary research team that already had established partnerships in Arnhem Land. 
Uh, my previous boss, Professor John Altman, he'd been working in Manangrida since the 80s. So I sort of you know, piggybacked on his work and followed him around and sort of learned um, how things work out, out there. And I've maintained those relationships and sort of evolved projects out there ever since. And I guess, yeah, because of that, um, yeah, the relationships, and this is why you know, people know me, I always cry, but <laughs> when I think about some of the really special people and the elders that I've met, over that time, it really influenced my thinking and yeah, inspired me to keep going and create new ways and bring new people into this space um, so we can transform how sort of environmental management is done in Australia. Yeah, so other than this has a very special place in my heart. I still work there, um, spend about half a year there. But also, I guess, recognising that, you know, Arnhem Land is a, is a very special sort of particular place. It was um, declared, Arnhem Land's quite, you know, it's quite large. It's like five times the size of Kakadu National Park. It was declared an Aboriginal reserve in 1931. So it was sort of protected from outside influence. There's, you know, a lot of language and culture has maintained its integrity um, without the severe impacts of colonisation. Um, whereas down south and many other parts of Australia, we do see very significant, you know, everyone knows, significant impacts of colonisation on um, cultural transmission and language. So I guess I took it upon myself to learn more about what these impacts are down south in, in New South Wales and try and work with um, Indigenous people from, you know, closer to home for me in Sydney um, and see how we could do things sort of in this context where we have different um, challenges of, you know, far um, smaller kind of parcels of Indigenous land ownership and all of the um, sort of conflicting demands on people's time and, I guess, dilution of Indigenous people within the, the broader, you know, population down here in Sydney, the dilution of Indigenous voices in decision-making um, all present a, a whole new suite of challenges to sort of elevating um, cross-cultural ecology in this space. Mm. So, yeah, it's an ongoing challenge, <laughs> as you probably know, all the politics and all that that goes with it. Um, but, yeah, it's very worthwhile. And do, do you find that the types of projects that you work on in those two locations, um, are, are, they, are they quite different from each other or do you find that there's a lot of crossover in, in some of the projects that you're focusing on? Um, very different, I would say. I think it's the long relationships I've got in Arnhem Land um, and also the places where we work, so um, small remote Aboriginal communities um, and small you know, Aboriginal ranger groups managing big, you know, Indigenous protected areas is very different to um, down in New South Wales where we still have small Aboriginal ranger groups um, but they're usually working on much smaller parcels of land and have very different sort of challenges. Um, so the scale is one big difference. So big scale in the NT, smaller scale down here. Um, in the NT, we also have, I guess, the sort of um, computer literacy and English literacy is, is much lower than down in New South Wales. So we have those sort of challenges when we're trying to do collaborative monitoring and reporting and stuff like that. It's quite um, different. So we do a lot of, sort of multilingual communications and using multimedia. Um, and, you know, we've developed new apps and stuff like that that have that are bilingual and use images instead of text to try and overcome some of those challenges. Whereas down south we can do some more kind of, you know, sophisticated scientific stuff alongside um, Indigenous knowledge recording 
Um, yeah, I guess one of the big focuses of our work is, you know, we want to try and maintain the the balance between Western science and Indigenous knowledge and sort of work on the co-design sort of principles and even starting to shift towards, you know, Indigenous leadership. We want to see Indigenous people leading these projects. Um, so I guess I'm sort of working in this sort of cross-cultural capacity building space as well where I'm working with Indigenous people to sort of help train up in use of computers or whatever, but also non-Indigenous people um, learning about Aboriginal knowledge. So there's capacity building sort of on both sides. Yeah, so there's differences in those sort of ways, working in Northern Territory in New South Wales. And you mentioned there about the um, capacity building amongst um, non-Indigenous ecologists as well. What what sort of guidance or advice would you give to non-Indigenous ecologists wanting to create partnerships and, and learn more about their Indigenous colleagues? Ah, yeah, I think the biggest thing for us um, being trained in the sort of Western scientific discipline um, in very kind of rigorous ways and, you know, where we have to conform to sort of statistical rigour and all those sorts of things really makes sort of can make um, ecology quite rigid. Um, and when we're going to engage with Indigenous partners, I think the most important thing is to kind of let a bit of that go um, we're going to have to compromise um, between if we want to balance the different knowledge systems, which we can't always have the most sort of technical scientific approaches because our Indigenous partners simply just can't understand or don't value them the way we do. So trying to find some middle ground where there's mutual benefit. Um, so both parties um, are getting something out of it. They, we both understand what we, we do, each other are doing. So it's like a social learning process. And this kind of, I think, requires um, just letting go a bit of the, the power and the control that we have as sort of, you know, as white fellas, privileged white fellas um, in Australia, um, letting go and letting like our Indigenous partners drive the projects and, and direct where we're going, what we're doing, can be really challenging for some people, um, especially when we have tight funding timeframes and reporting requirements that sort of push us to go faster, you know, do things more efficiently. Um, but that doesn't always work with our Indigenous partners. So letting go of some of that, we really just sort of sit down and listen and don't like work on Aboriginal time in um, a different way um, so we can make some of these cross-cultural approaches really work in practice and work to protect our environment. Ecology Matters is a podcast by the Ecological Society of Australia a not-for-profit organisation supporting ecologists and ecological science in Australia. We acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. To learn more about our work, follow us on social media, visit our website or sign up to our newsletter. You can find links to these in the show notes. The theme music is Glow by Scott Buckley. Lastly, thank you to all the ecologists who have taken part in this series and shared their perspectives on why ecology matters.